Hey, what's up, guys? This is Gavin Shaw of the Locked On Knicks podcast. The New York Knicks fall 115 to 100 to the Miami Heat. And I'm going to be joined by Ariel Pacheco to talk a career high for R.J. Barrett, struggles for Julius Randle and what they imply for his contract this summer, and so much more next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Stars. Yes. Tucks left. Now fires it. And he's good. And he's fouled. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. Most importantly, our fantastic guest is Ariel Pacheco. He works for the Strickland, and he is I'm going to say it, one of the defining voices of Nick's Twitter film threads that are only matched by his crosstown rival, Benji Ritholtz. Are you and Benji, is there any way to have like a competition between you guys? Like who can get like the most retweets over the course of a game or something? We got it. We got to settle this once and for all. We needed to do something during All-Star Weekend or something. I don't know, a little, a little like film thread draw or something. I don't there know. You go. I'd, I'd like, I'd like like a five prong competition. I want you guys to play one-on-one and then you have to break down <laughs> your own film playing each other. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out at some point, but um, anyways, uh, fantastic to have you on my man. Uh, I, I wish, I wish it was a better game, but there was a monumental happening in this game. So that's something uh, the Knicks fall to the Miami heat one fifteen to 100. The headline though, um, outside of Quentin Grimes injury, which we will get to is of course, RJ Barrett, a career high, 46 points, uh, fantastic stat courtesy of Jonathan Macri, the seventh player in NBA history, 21 or younger to shoot 22 free throws in a game. You would have wished he made more than uh, 14 of them, but was raining fire from three, six in the first half. That insane step back to end the half. Uh, what a way for him to return from injury, Ariel. Yeah, it was huge. You mentioned the step back three. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a nice moment when you get a, a first half bang from Mike Green. Yeah. <laughs> It's a rare one. Um, but, yeah, I was most impressed with the, the stat you mentioned. He got to the free throw line 22 times. Um, the, uh, 22 times is a lot, but the idea that he can get to the free throw line a lot more frequently is something that um, I've always, like, believed in and kind of showed it tonight. Obviously, you want him to hit more than 14, like you said, but, I mean, the process was really good. He he had some really nice finishes around the basket. Um, ben Adebayo was, like, trying to block his shots like all night from the weak side got him a couple times but for the most part rj had success yeah i loved the way he was going at jimmy butler early in this game obviously butler got him back a little bit at the start of the third quarter but i think it was the very first play of the drive but uh, first play of the game butler tried to drive on rj and rj just stonewalled him then rj came back on the other end and got by him and those two i bring this up every time they play the heat but i'll, I'll always remember rj the first time they matched up where jimmy was just kind of giving him instructions and he was like hey you want to you want to go into my body you want to you want to draw a foul there and it, it sort of felt like a big brother little brother thing i think i think jimmy sees a little bit of himself in rj and because of that he takes it on himself to sort of kick his ass every time they play but this yeah. time RJ was just torching him. And I think Breen mentioned it at some point during the game. He was like, yeah, Jimmy's, Jimmy's getting a little mad. He, he doesn't really like that his, uh, 
is three times a year protege is going after him. But yeah, it was, it was that quick start for RJ. I wanted to ask you about this. How do you think he is getting by people now? Because we saw earlier in the year, he had quite a bit of trouble getting separation and the finishing at the rim is another issue, but he just, he wasn't really getting clean shots. And now it seems like he's, I mean, the 22 free throws are the ultimate indicator of that. He's turning the corner pretty easily. I feel like he has this like very subtle hesitation move where it almost looks like a street ball move where he kind of like pushes the ball in, pulls it out. And then he's just, he's by guys every single time. But I, I was curious what, what you're seeing there, whether biomechanically or if it's more of a skill set thing. I think I think he's doing a smarter job of attacking the right matchups now too. Um, I think we saw in the fourth quarter, and I tweeted this as well that like he he was um actively like whoever Tyler Hero was guarding, he was calling for him to set a screen. And you know when you're attacking Tyler Hero as in comparison to like Jimmy Butler or even Bam was great, um defensively switching on the perimeter, it's a lot easier. And I think he's done a better job of like turning corners. Um, he used to like kind of sometimes kind of get baited into these like awkward floaters that like weren't great shots for him. But now he's getting all the way to the rim. And even when he does get cut off now, he kind of has that little counter in the lane where he takes that like 12 foot, like turnaround jumper in the lane. So yeah. I, I think he's kind of, he's figuring out like his strengths. And then now he kind of has that little counter to when people cut off his drives and the jumper in general, he's making the, he's made more pull up threes. I feel like this year. And he's been more aggressive in looking for them. So teams can't just go straight under on him anymore. Um, they still do for the most part, but it's a nice it's nice to see that little like development in his game. I think he's developed a really innate sense of off-ball movement. When when Randall is driving and drawing double and triple teams, he just seems to float to the right spot. And that might have been something that he always had, but I think in the past he I don't think he wanted to shoot open threes. I, I think he felt like that was a spotlight. Put a, pointing out a glaring weakness in his game. And tonight he was just like, just get me the ball. And he, he it felt like he was he was doing pop a shot at a certain point, like just this very easy, quick fire release. And to your point, um, the finishing, obviously the stats still aren't incredible yeah. there, but he pulls out a couple every game that you just didn't really see him make in the past. Like, I mean, I mean, to your point, when he was just lofting little shots over Bam, that takes real skill. Like Bam out of bio, world-class rim protector, and, mm-hmm. and his timing and his ability to change his angle and his approach, um, even occasionally going like left hand, right side to sort of surprise the shot blocker and beat into the rim. The little like push shot he's had on Hero, I feel like he's, for his career, he shoots something like 20% on those. He always misses them yeah. from five, six feet away. It, it feels like it's it's a subtle improvement but because so many other parts of his game are making rapid improvements, it, it has kind of an exponential effect where all of a sudden he's having, like, like you could have never imagined rookie RJ Barrett scoring 46 points in a game because he just wasn't efficient enough. Yeah. I mean, his numbers around the rim have never been great. He's never been a great finisher, but he has been good at getting to the rim. So just off sheer volume, the more he gets there, the more, you know, it like, kind of evens out those numbers. And if he's getting to the foul line like he is tonight, it's just it's just added bonus. Like everything kind of comes together, and you can live with that every game. The process, at least. Yeah. Obviously, tonight was a pretty good example of it. But what's what's the biggest thing you're looking for out of him the rest of the season? And we'll get into it next segment. But especially with Quentin Grimes going down, I know that was a big point of enjoyment I had to look forward to the rest of the season. I think the spotlight's all the more on Arjun saying, "All right, what what can you show us over these final twenty plus games?" Um, the thing I kind of stuck out to me in the beginning of January, he had this kind of little rough stretch at like against the Hornets, I believe it was. And I guess, and the Timberwolves, 
where they were playing like pretty aggressive defenses against him. They were like trapping him out of the pick and roll, and he kind of struggled to make the reads. Tonight, I thought he did a much better job, especially in the second half, that he started trapping him. And he was doing a good job of just making the quick, easy release to like Fournier or whoever it was, and the ball swung around, and the offense looked good. So that's what I'm kind of looking for is can he make those reads against more aggressive defenses? And tonight he showed that, so I was, I was impressed by that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I think you, you're probably thinking of the same play I am where he got the ball right wing and instead of trying to dribble into the double or dribble out of the double, he actually dribbled backwards and he, he kind of baited the defenders like, oh, let's trap him in the corner. And that's, I mean, that's been the Miami Heat mindset ever since Eric Spolster took over. Like it, they're velociraptors out there and they sort of played right into his hands, like little jump pass over the top. Fournier had 30 seconds to hit a wide open three. Mm-hmm. And it's that, I, I'm, I'm with you, I think. It's that next level manipulation and and how can he leverage his newfound scoring ability into easy opportunities for others. That's something we've seen from RJ at different points in his career. I feel like he's he's sort of just had a, a very score-centric mentality of late. So I'm, I'm 100% with you. That was fantastic to see. And it was an incredible night for RJ Barrett. All right, so we got the good out of the way. We'll take a quick break and we'll get into some of the bad uh, starting off with Quentin Grimes's injury. All right, so we wanted to take this break to tell you about Truebill. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's the business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. These companies make subscriptions hard to cancel. Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in just one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there whenever you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions, so you don't have to. Truebill is over 2 million users and helps save them over $100 million. Like Matthew B, who says in a matter of seconds, I saved $660 for the year on my DirecTV bill, saved $120 for the year on my SiriusXM bill, Saved $840 a year on car insurance, so don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockdownNBA. Go right now, Truebill.com slash LockdownNBA. It could save you thousands a year right now. And today's episode is also brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. You can save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you need, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. So go explore their easy-to-use website today to find solutions to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rock Auto. Now we're back with Ariel to discuss more about this game. All right, so Ariel, Quentin Grimes goes. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna read it off because it was. It was a little bit beyond my vocabulary. The the injury he suffered. It was a subluxation of the right patella, which essentially means a partial dislocation of his right kneecap. Uh, that's an injury. I saw Steve Popper tweet out. Um, could mean uh, him being out as many as four to six weeks. You're on the higher end of that spectrum. It means he misses pretty much the rest of the season. That would take you into the second week of April. And I think we're in agreement that the Knicks will not be playing past the second week of April. Um, 
I I don't even know if I have a question here, but man, this is such a, this is such a bummer, right? This is that's the guy who we keep seeing these little flashes from every game. Every time you think you know who he is as a player, he'll show you something else. All I wanted out of the rest of this Knicks season was to continue seeing those little moments, and now we're possibly not going to get them. Yeah, disappointing is an understatement to describe the injury. Yeah. Um, I didn't see it at first, and then I saw that it was like a bump knee, so I kind of had some hope that it was just like, you know, just the contact kind of hurt him a little bit. But then you mentioned the injury that I'm not going to try to pronounce or explain because I have no idea. I've never heard that word before today. But um, his play has been a bright spot all season. Um, even when he was like in a much more limited role, he'd come in for his few minutes, and he'd still do something in those couple of minutes that he was in and show you show you kind of his skill and his talent. Um, a lot of people thought he was just a three and D, and we're kind of we're kind of seeing a little bit more, you know, off the bounce game. His passing is a little more impressive than I think I, I thought or most people thought. So, I mean, I was looking forward to seeing him. I was assuming he'd get like a bigger role down the stretch, but now we won't know. Hopefully, he comes back sooner than later, though. But yeah, definitely disappointing to say the least. Yeah, so I guess the positive out of this is is one of the the single biggest questions facing the Knicks coming out of All Star break. Were were they really going to just not play Cam Reddish at all? Um, given that the perimeter rotation was getting increasingly healthy, seemingly Derrick Rose. Um, I mean, there was an, another report. It was, it was a big game for Nick's injury report. So Derrick Rose apparently was getting surgery for a skin infection and sounds like he'll be back in one to two weeks. Um, so you get Rose back, obviously Burks, Fournier, uh, RJ. We thought we were going to have Grimes. It didn't, didn't really leave any space for Cam Reddish. And the only positive is we're going to get probably 15 to 20 minutes of Cam Reddish going forward. Um, and I thought in this game, again, very similar to what we've seen from him all year. Uh, the shot uh, was, I mean, this game was fine. By and large, it has not been fine. He was two for four from the field, uh, two for three from three, also made two free throws. And I thought like when he came into the game, we immediately saw the highs and the lows. I think within, I, it was maybe two seconds after he checked in, he just chucked a contested three. You kind of cringe and you're like, all right, I mean, that's why Tibbs doesn't really want to play him. And then uh, I think two possessions later, he gets into the lane on Tyler Hero, draws a double team, kick out to RJ for three. And it's like, yeah, that's what I want for my hyper-athletic tall wing. Had another just crazy, like, anticipatory long-arm deflection that was really great. I don't really know what he is in my mind right now. He's, like, slightly rich man's Kevin Knox. But the Knicks owe it to themselves to find out. And, again, shining light here. Uh, They're going to get to because Grimes is out for the foreseeable future. Yeah, the flashes with Cam are always like they jump off the screen when you when you're watching Cam. But the lows are low. Um, my biggest concern with him coming in was like his shot selection. Sometimes he can kind of like doze off on defense. Sometimes I think for the most part he's been pretty solid on defense. Well, at least better than what I saw from him in Atlanta. Um, at least more consistent to say. And offensively, I, I think he's kind of took taken out some of the bad shots. You still see it every now and then, at least in his very short. Um, amount of playing time in New York, but overall, I mean, you you still take the swing on the upside. You did trade for him. You got to play him. You got to see what you got. And um, with Grimes, all like you said, fifteen to twenty minutes a night. That's a solid. That's a solid amount of playing time. And I think we kind of there was a fun lineup. Um, I thought it was like probably one of the more athletic lineups they've played all season, where it was Sims, Obi, RJ, Cam, and IQ. And it's just like it's, it's fun. They don't have like they didn't have that kind of athleticism on the wings before Reddish. So. He, he brings like a different kind of aspect to the, to the mix. Yeah, he's, he's certainly unique. And, and this is something we were getting into a little bit pre-show, but we saw some some new wrinkles from, from Tom Thibodeau in this one. I mean, the, the willingness to not have ironclad rotations, a little, a little bit of a mix-up. Like I, I was telling you, I, I really enjoyed the maybe 
three, four minutes of it, but the Emmanuel quickly, Evan Fournier, RJ Barrett, Julius Randall, Jericho Sims lineup. Uh, what, what stood out to you from, from Tibbs and at least seemingly a, a willingness to not only mix it up, but let some younger guys play through some mistakes. Yeah, I thought it was, it was fun. It was fun to watch at least. Um, you know, he gave Sims, I think it was 18 minutes, um, give or take. Um, I thought that was fun to watch. I think Sims still has a ways to go. He's, his slashes are good, just kind of like reddish, but he's still out of position a lot defensively. Um, I, I thought he gave Deuce like a very short two-minute stint to end the second quarter, but the fact he was willing to put him in, I guess, <laughs> is a step in the right direction. And then we also saw a short stint of Obi Randall minutes at the end of the third and I think start of the fourth. So, I mean, we did see a little bit, you know, more flexibility from, from Thibodeau. Maybe it's coming down from the front office. I don't know. But um, either way, it's still nice to see. You want to see what your players look like in different situations. And we haven't really gotten that this season before tonight. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was it was crazy. You, you pull out, um, and, and uh, our Schwinn did a really good job of, of looking all this up over the weekend, um, Emmanuel Quickly's lineup data. And he's just a massive positive with basically all of the Knicks starters in two-man lineups. But he's also essentially spent no time in the starting lineup. And this game, it was a little bit of a self-sabotage. He picked up three quick fouls, but I thought there was there was one play in the second quarter that just showed off some of the potential of having IQ in there where he drove to the basket, scrambled the defense, kicked it out to Randall. Randall drove to the basket. Defense was even more harangued. Uh, someone has to come help from the corner. Easy kick to RJ for three. And it's just, and, and I mean, people always rightfully complain about quickly and his lack of ability to get all the way to the rim. But just the ability to distend and distort a defense and, and make quick decisions while doing so, because Kemba would occasionally be able to ISO and drive and draw double, and and you'd get some semblance of that. But what Kemba never did, which quickly did in this game, was when the Heat went zone and quickly just darted through a gap and, and hit a, I think, a little floater over Omer Yurt seven. That was that was that type of I guess just rapid start and stop element of his game. Like, unfortunately for Kemba, that it just, it was no longer there. It was always meticulous, even when he was winning off the dribble. And I think we always, we, I mean, we have been talking about over the last seven, eight games, how much better Randall is with some pace. Obviously tonight, that wasn't really there. Randall was horrible. We can get into it in a little bit. Um, but I, I always look for pace in the half court out of this Knicks team as, as sort of a, a benchmark of, of the overall health of their offense. And I think the reason you see quickly is such a consistent positive, even though his shot has been God awful is because he brings that pace to the table. Yeah. That's always been the thing for, for me with IQ as well. He always plays with this frenetic energy and it kind of it's contagious. Um, especially when he's out there where Obi is like double the, the amount of, of energy, but um, yeah, I've always been a proponent of, I think IQ should get more minutes with the starters. I think he's just, he's the kind of perfect blend in theory of being able to play on or off ball next to RJ and Randall. Um, it sucks that his shot hasn't been falling at all this year. Um, and it's kind of, I think it's kind of skewed what most people think of his season this year. A lot of people are kind of disappointed. And I think he's played well other than his shot not falling. And obviously your shot falling is a huge part of basketball. But um, I do think we have seen some improvements. He had a couple of impressive passes tonight. Um, he hit Obi in the corner for a three in the fourth quarter. Obi missed it. But I still think we're seeing very subtle improvements from him. I think the conversation on Q has kind of skewed too much towards like he's struggling, he's not a point guard, this, that, whatever. And I think instead it should be, it's kind of impressive that he's been able to still be a positive NBA player while not being able to hit like anything right now. So I think it kind of is 
a good sign for him going down the line rather than less than a, wait i'm saying that wrong more of a good sign than it is a negative <laughs> yeah i mean i'm in total agreement i mean i think you, you, you always talk about process over results i think all season long the process for emmanuel quickly has been pretty good I don't know if it's because it's in his own head or if he's not quite the shooter that we thought he was. The results haven't always been great. But again, this is a guy who shot it well his entire life. You would expect that to turn around and you'd expect him to hopefully finish pretty strong. He did hit that one wide open three near the end of the game. And I, I was I was just happy he got that shot. I, I think he I think he just I mean, it's, it's very cliched, but he, he needs to see if you go down. All right, let's take one final break. We'll come back. We will go over Julius Randle's awful night and all of the rest of the Knicks that we haven't covered yet right now on Locked on Knicks after this break. Finally, guys, this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. This is the time of year that I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually do enjoy eating them. Have you tried the puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, they're not just a protein bar, they're a treat, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Puffs are a fan favorite with some incredible flavors. Yummy, cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie, so, so good. These are going to be your new favorite. All Bill Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Yes, Puffs included, 100% real chocolate, low-calorie, high-protein. Replace your candy bar with these. They are better. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. Most Bilt Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. At Bilt Bar, they're all about the taste. They make it taste delicious first, then figure out how to make it healthy. And I don't know how, but they pull it off every single time. So go to Bilt.com, use promo code LOCK15, and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Bilt.com. All right, we are back. Julius Randle, uh, not so great after a seven-game stretch where he averaged 30 points. I think it was six, It was 12 rebounds, six assists on relatively efficient shooting. And I, I is kind of just assumed, even though it was the Heat, I was like, all right, he's turned the corner. We're going to get the same guy. Uh, he proceeds to put off uh, one, one of his all-time stinkers this season, two for 15 from the floor, 0 for 4 from three, did make seven free throws, did have eight rebounds and eight assists, but 11 points. Four turnovers. The turnovers were just like increasingly lackadaisical and inexcusable as the game went on. Um, some of the defensive mishaps that had been absent were were back again. I mean, him and Fournier, I got I got PTSD flashbacks from uh, November um, on that play where PJ Tucker just dribbled up the court, and I think Fournier was stuck on maybe he was out of bio, and Randall tried to kind of scram him out of it, and Fournier just either didn't hear him or didn't listen. And PJ Tucker, who leads the NBA in field goal percentage or three point field goal percentage, excuse me, had about forty seconds to shoot, and of course he he hit it. So not a great night for Julius Randall. Uh, Ariel, we could go we could go bigger picture here. I what do you want from Randall? for the rest of the season because there's like this weird dichotomy around him now where we're nominally like the Knicks were looking to trade him, but the argument was, all right, well, you don't trade the guy when his value is too low, starts playing better again. And then all of a sudden, like even though his value is higher, everyone's like, all right, well, we're not going to trade Julius Randle. Now he's the centerpiece of the team. He's the only guy who can really create help just by his, his mere presence. He's going to make things easier for the younger guys. Um, but what are your, your hopes for him as this season winds down? And what are your expectations, depending on how he plays and how the Knicks sort of handled this offseason with Julius Randle, whether or not he's a long-term piece? 
I'm curious to see if RJ does get kind of added usage offensively and he gets more of these touches and Julius kind of takes a little bit more of a backseat. I'm not sure if that does happen, but if we're basing it off the night going down the line, if that does happen, I'm curious to see how Julius functions more of like as a second side, you know, weak side attack. Uh, there was a couple possessions where, um, including one where RJ got trapped and he dished it out to Fournier and Fournier swung it to Julius and Julius immediately like just attacked the closeout and went to the basket. He missed the layup. But that's the kind of thing you want to see from Julius, if he can kind of take the pressure off of RJ being trapped and then punish the defense on the other side of the floor. Um, so I'm curious to see how he kind of, if he can, how he looks in a smaller role. Um, because in theory, when the Knicks get good, if Julius is on the team, he's not going to be the first option. Um, and I'm curious to see, uh, I, was, I was encouraged by that recent stretch that you just mentioned. Um, because it kind of seemed like he found some of that like mojo he had last year. Um, it was a little disappointing, obviously, tonight. I thought he was kind of aiming his shot, and those turnovers, like you mentioned, were bad. <laughs> they were really ugly. But going down the line, going down the future, I think you just kind of have to see how does he – can he take less of a role and still be effective, or does he need to be like this high usage guy to be effective? I think I – think, I don't think he needs to be this high usage guy to be effective, but I do think it kind of – it's going to be a process for him to kind of revert back slowly. Because once you, once you reach an all-NBA level, it's, that's kind of who you think you are forever, you know? So, I mean, I don't know. I'm curious to see how it ends up, though. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a weird thing, right? Because it's it's almost like he got the like Mike shoes for a year. And and they only translated to mid-range jumpers and three-pointers because he, he turned into, for a power forward, an elite shooter at both those yeah. spots on the floor. And that was sort of the strange thing over these last seven games, right? He was as successful or more successful than he was last season, but it wasn't really for the same reasons. He, he was a completely different guy. It was, it was the full court transition rampages. It was getting to the free throw line. The passing was the same, but the scoring output felt completely different. And, and on the nights when he was really feeling it, you get those threes, you get those elbow jumpers. But for the most part, it wasn't that like methodical, like turnaround game where he just tortured people a year ago. It was him being go, 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 go and leveraging the fact that he's a six foot eight, 260 pound guy with one of the, better basketball skill sets for anyone in that size range who ever lived. And that sounds like a crazy thing to say, but that's, that's really true. That's what makes him a special player. That's what makes him a hundred million dollar plus guy. That talent is in there. It was just, even over those seven games, it was overextended because he would, he would tire out in the fourth quarter. And it, it made a lot of sense because it was a ridiculous burden to put on, on one guy, given the energy output that he needed to score like that and play like that. So like you, I'm I'm fascinated because I think the smaller version of that role could be a hyper-efficient, hyper-valuable player that um, outpaces his contract, even if the counting stats aren't anything insane. But if he becomes someone who's committed to, again, just setting rock-hard screens, which we saw from him a ton, rolling to the rim, getting out in transition, operating to create rather than to score, and just, I guess, cutting the fat out of his game, cutting the, like, four meaningless elbow jumpers with someone right in his face. Like he took a terrible one against Bam tonight, like where he just pump faked and tried to shoot over him. Um, if he can, if he can do that, like there, there's a great player in there. It's almost like, it's almost like a sculpture, right? You got to just like, you got to find it within the, the lump of clay. I'm, I'm mixing analogies, Ariel. So I'll, I'll stop it right here. But the point is like, I think there's, there's something great in there with Julius Randle. The question that'll define his career is, can he find it and hone it to the right caliber? Exactly. Yeah, I, I think his play was more reminiscent. I mean, not counting stats wise, but just like the way he was playing, just going downhill. It was more reminiscent of like his Pelicans days, 
more so than his last season with the Knicks. Um, like you mentioned, his last season with the Knicks was more about the jumper. The jumper was, was he was just hitting at like an incredible rate. And he's lost that this year, but in that stretch, he, he wasn't making jumpers like that. He was just attacking the basket, attacking closeouts, pushing the pace off of rebounds. He was just forcing the issue in a good way. Um, and I think sometimes when he forces the issue in sort of a bad way, he leaves his feet without really knowing what he's going to do when he jumps, like those kinds of things. Um, but overall, I mean, I do think he can find himself. I, I think you, I think you kind of have to be patient with him. Um, you can tell that he's kind of have been, he's been trying to make that adjustment. And he's kind of been battling with himself all season. Um, and, yeah, I, I think he does get there eventually, um, even if it's not always going to be pretty like it was tonight. I think you nailed it by, by saying that he battles with himself because it's a lot of it's an identity crisis, right? It's not yeah. it's not a basketball skill thing. It's, it's can he accept who he is as a player? And I think that's that's a big issue with him always and, and maybe has been for his whole career. And I, that's the tragedy of so many NBA careers where – Guys will figure that out, but after the the peak of their athletic abilities have left them to some extent. I mean, that's that's the brilliance of some of the all-time greats. Like, I mean, like LeBron's like a weird example to pick up. He's obviously he has every athletic talent in the world, but he always knew exactly who he was for the most part. He always knew like the 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 bounds of his game. And even as those expanded, he knew how to calibrate them perfectly. And I think I think that's the underrated part of of being a great NBA player, right? It's it's self-awareness to some mm -hmm. extent. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. All right. Um I'm trying to think was there was there anyone else in this game who really stood out? We we mentioned Jericho Sims. Uh he had some some really nice moments defensively. Uh, that great bit of verticality on Jimmy Butler. Uh what did you as as a film buff? I thought this was like a cool play to point out. What what did you think of that play where he sort of shut down Tyler Hero? Because even, even going back to summer league, we've seen flashes of that from Sims where he's like he's he's the rare I mean this is this is the whole appeal of Mitch too or or at least was earlier in his career. The rare guy who's a vertical athlete at the rim but then has those really nimble feet on the perimeter yeah um when i watched his college tape when he was drafted i, I had no idea who he was so i yeah. watched his college tape and i kind of binge watched to figure out who he was the switching jumped off the page immediately he's very comfortable switching out on guards um and i think even now in the nba he looks more comfortable when he's out on the perimeter guarding a guard than he does when he's in a drop and i think we even saw that tonight he looked better when he was switching out than he was in the drop. He gave up a lot of lobs or easy like layups where he was just way too far into the basket. Um, I think there's going to be some growing pains with him, but like like kind of with Cam, the, the flashes are there and, and they're very they're very they jump off the page. Um, but I think tonight he was kind of more bad than good, and and that's perfectly fine, especially with where the next season is headed. Um, I think you live with it. I think the upside of playing him is much more valuable than just trying to scrap out a couple more wins with like Nerlens, for example. So, I mean, I have no problem with his kind of struggles and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how he develops. And if he can improve, if he can, if he can be, be a guy that can play multiple coverages as a big, he, he adds a lot more value. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious to continue to see his offensive game expand. Obviously in summer league, you, you got those flashes. Uh, the NBA is a, a different animal, but I think, I think all of that is adjusting to the speed of the game and, and realizing that in time you, you can do a lot of the same stuff you did in summer league. You just have to do it a little bit quicker. Um, so that's, that's what I'm looking for out of him. Uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to see similar stuff from Deuce McBride. Uh, I thought uh, some closing notes on my end, and then let me know if you have anything, Ariel, uh, not a great Mitch game, 29 minutes, did not score, only got off one shot, five fouls, three turnovers. Uh, did have, again, similar to Jericho, some 
fantastic moments on defense in this one. Um, I thought especially at the beginning of the game, like Kyle Lowry got him in a, in a little ISO under the basket and and did his typical Kyle Lowry thing where he throws up like six different pump fakes. Mitch didn't bite on any of them, stayed low, forced a miss, uh, had a nasty help side block on Jimmy Butler, had a play late where he shut down Bam in the post. But to me, this is, I guess this is the intrigue in in, pay, in paying Mitch. It feels like he's someone who can dominate weaker competition, like really, really kill him. We all remember that game against the Timberwolves where he, he, he sort of looked like Anthony Davis in, in college to me. Uh, we're just too big, too physical, too athletic. And then he goes up against a team like the Heat that are like men, for lack of a better term. He goes up against Andre Drummond, who uh, maybe you wouldn't describe him that way, but has always tortured Mitch. And it feels like he just loses a little bit of that vigor, a little bit of that fire. And and to be clear, I think by and large, he's been better in those situations in this year. Because like, if you were a bigger center, you used to just be able to wreck him. But to me, that's the concern of giving him, I mean, I guess anything more than $12, $13 million a year. Is is he a guy in like the biggest games and the biggest stages? Like, can he still play his game and can he still be effective? And can he justify the the lack of spacing he he brings to the table? Because I feel like he has to do so much else to compensate for that. I agree with you. I think I think tonight's game, he was like it was kind of an up and down game. He had moments that were good. He had moments that were bad. Um, I think he'd benefit from having another creator on the floor that could actually find them for a lot. I think the Knicks miss him on rolls a lot. Um, I think Fournier is the one guy on the team who like kind of actively looks for Mitch, especially when Mitch has like a smaller guy, he'll steal them off. Um, but overall, I think the question with Mitch is just kind of the consistency factor. Like you mentioned, when he's on, he he can dominate a game, and he can he's sometimes been the best player on the floor for for long stretches. Um, he kind of has that that potential, but there there are the games like not not necessarily like tonight where, where I thought he was decent, but there are games where he's kind of just he's fouling too much. He's using playing defense with his hands. Um, I, I've always been a, a I've always been pretty big on Mitch. I've always been pretty high on Mitch, but um, his contract is going to be very interesting to me. I'm curious to see what he ends up getting. Yeah, I I wonder if there's I mean, we've all heard the Pistons, right? If there's a team out there who's yeah. just gonna overpay for him. And I don't know, at this point, um there were there have been stretches of season where I would have been completely heartbroken if the Knicks lose Mitch. And and then there's part of me that's like, all right, I'm willing to see who they could find in that position. And and I, I mean, and the issue is if if Tibbs is your coach, right? Rim protection is is a prerequisite. But even even if they roll with Nerlens Noel a healthy, a healthy Nerlens Noel. If we if we get last year Nerlens Noel and Jericho Sims next year, I don't know if that's the end of the world necessarily, and I don't know if the drop off in production is worth the investment that will be required to keep Mitch. And, and I think the the question you're asking yourself if you're paying him that kind of money is there more there? And at this point, I mean, he's had four years to develop offensively, defensively, like no one can deny he's made massive, massive strides offensively his his biggest development has basically been doubling down on what he was already great at which is being just a force around the rim and now he's so much stronger he's he's the best offensive rebounder in the nba this year but there's hasn't been any expansion beyond that and i don't know if there's any reasonable reason uh to think that there is all right i'll, I'll leave it to you ariel did you have any any closing notes closing thoughts on this game um i thought it was a good loss it's yeah. at this stage of the season you competitive rj goes off um, since got some minutes, we saw a little Obi Randall minutes. Um, I think it's the kind of loss that you you're kind of hoping you see for the rest of the season. Get more ping pong ping pong balls, but at the same time, you see a little bit of you see a little bit of growth from the younger guys. All right, uh, Ariel Pacheco on Twitter at a Pacheco NBA. Uh, you can find him uh, dueling Benji Ritholtz for the right to be the the film thread king 
of Nick's Twitter, maybe, maybe NBA Twitter as a whole. You, you, I, I know, I know you're, you're dabbling with, uh, with some other teams and stuff. Um, right. I, or, yeah, I definitely, or I, I want to see, I want to see you dabble with other teams. You do a fantastic job. I say it every time you come on, I always learn something. Um, is there anything uh, coming out for the Strickland in, in the near or far future that we could, we can look forward to? Uh, nothing right now. Just uh, follow my Twitter and you can like stay updated with me that way. All right. That is it for this edition of the Locked on Knicks podcast. We really appreciate you tuning in and we will be back on Monday with the recap of probably lost the 76ers, but who knows? This team has surprised us before. Until then, be good. Enjoy your weekend. Peace out.